How to become a composer and a global media consultant? What is a global media consultant? And what is the best way to do networking in LA? And it's not what you think. It's not music conferences. If these questions are interesting for you, then this episode was made just for you. My name is Dr. Amit Weiner. I'm a composer for film and TV, and I'm on a mission to help musicians like you find their way in the world of music. Let's hear it from Dedi Tsur himself. I've been a pilot for 20-something years, and especially in L.A., just a private pilot, basic four-seater planes or aerobatic planes, but not a commercial pilot. I found that I met such interesting people, especially in a place like Hollywood in LA, that uh, we share that passion. And through them, suddenly I've been introduced to very big players in the Hollywood industry without even realizing that. And they were just naturally wanted to connect with me because we had that shared hobby, so to speak. And there's actually quite a few composers, well-known composers, including the late James Horner, who died in a flight accident, but um, Ellen Silvestri used to fly himself from his house in Carmel down to Warner Brothers and just land in Burbank, do a meeting and go back. So I'm not, I'm not the only one. It was not that rare, but it is a bit of a different hobby for sure. But I can say that this, this was where the interesting interaction happened. And then it was just natural to talk about, oh, we're in the same industry. Oh, you're a composer. Oh, can we listen to your stuff? not me trying to pitch myself, just we're just having time. Because I think especially in the, in, in the media industry, people in powerful positions are used to people nagging them constantly, pitching themselves. And they're just like immediately close the doors because leave me alone. I'm on a weekend. I just want to have fun. Welcome to Rewind, an optimistic podcast that'll help you in your successful career in music. Amit Weiner hosts musicians, composers, professors, and sound wizards as they share their life stories and career decisions. Stay tuned, it's gonna be epic. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Rewind, the Musician's Podcast, the podcast that will help you build and elevate your career in music. My name is Amit Weiner, and I'm on a mission to help musicians find career opportunities and help musicians find the way in the huge world of the music industry. In this episode, our special guest is global media consultant and executive producer and and award-winning composer Dedi Tsur from Australia. Dedi, thank you so much for joining in. A true pleasure, Amit. Dedi, I'll introduce you to all the listeners. Dedi Tsur has composed, conducted, and produced music for films, concert halls, television shows, video games, and new media. His collective credits include The Golden Compass, Transformers, The Avengers, Digimon, Pirates of the Caribbean, wow, Lost Planet, The Bachelor, Adam's Family, and many more. Daddy's music has been featured on well-known TV shows, including The Big Bang Theory, Ellen DeGeneres Show, TMZ, Mad, and more. 
On the TV and streamers IP development side, Daddy has been working closely with writers, producers, and major streamers in the US, Europe, Southeast Asia, and China to develop projects both for long and short-form broadcast. And born in the Netherlands, raised in Israel, educated in the US, and conversational in seven languages, Daddy now resides in Sydney, Australia. Daddy, seven languages? You speak seven languages? Let's start with that, please. <laughs> I, I can say I do. I speak four fluently and three conversationally. So that will be kind of doing the, the job. Wow. What are the four languages that you speak fluently? Well, my native tongue, of course, Hebrew, English, Italian, and Spanish. Daddy, maybe we can start with your musical journey. Could you uh, share with the listeners, where did you start learning music and uh, compose music and how you've got to where you are today? Oh, that's a very long story. But I, uh, I can say that as a very young boy, I was fascinated with music. I didn't come from a necessarily musical family, but at age of five, I started learning classical piano, moved on, went back to play soccer in the street with my friends, and then at 12, picked up the guitar and started uh, learning uh, jazz and bossa nova and other things. And very early on, I became kind of a professional guitarist at 16, 17, and started doing gigs and playing sessions. And after... Uh, My military service, I moved to the U.S., uh, finished my schooling in New York for composition and conducting and uh, BA and, and, and music, and then uh, had an opportunity to move my studies to Los Angeles, and I've done the certificate, certificate course in film scoring in UCLA, and very quickly as, a, I guess, an Israeli and entrepreneurship in mind, I, very, I just start exploring my opportunities and find myself spending almost 20 years in Los Angeles uh, doing kids shows and other things and moved on to doing primetime dramas and such and just find myself engulfed in the Hollywood uh, film and media business uh, and, and took every opportunity I could to just keep scoring different shows and films and uh, life just happened. Wow. And all those credits that I've mentioned before, the Golden Compass, Transformers, Avengers, can you explain what was your part in the, all those uh, major films credits? Well, so, uh, well, those are collective credits, and therefore the Avengers Transformers I've done under the uh, Fox Kids banner, the original ones that started. So it's not the, the latest ones that are keep going in the big screen. Um, A game like The Golden Compass, that was a big video game that followed the movie that I composed with fellow composers. Um, a lot of my other music was found its way through different verticals to be licensed, to be featured in certain of those TV shows we discussed. But most of the work I've done was doing all the score, sometimes the theme songs of those different TV shows. A lot of animation originally, that's kind of where I started my My journey and then later on it was mostly focusing on uh, thrillers and dramas uh, on you know for the networks in the US and then a bit more in Europe and that kind of inadvertently took me to China uh, in the early say mid 2000s when you say took you to China you lived in China for that uh, for the time 
Uh, I've never lived in China, but I traveled there frequently above and beyond. And because I was a Hollywood composer, not necessarily the A-list Hollywood composer, I was very welcome there to do some of their big movies. And because I had good relationship and improved my Mandarin, uh, I ended up scoring several feature films there. And it just became the back and forth uh, at the time, Hollywood and China. Uh, were having wonderful relationships and uh, Chinese uh, producers and production companies and studios were seeking Hollywood-based talent to, to improve their, their product. And, uh, and I just happened to have the relationships there that uh, got me to get very involved and later on start my own media company in Beijing. Wow. And what is the global media consultancy that you're doing? I think it will be very interesting for the listeners that most of them are musicians. So what is the consultancy that you're doing for who and what is the connections that you're making? What are the connections that you're making? Well, I think throughout the years in Hollywood, uh, living in LA full time and, and traveling a lot and, and fostering a lot of relationships in South America, uh, in Europe, then in China and a bit in Southeast Asia, I slowly find myself being in this position of connecting people and finding the right answers up to how to put together media projects, whether from short form into full-on films. And in the last, say, 10 years, and especially in the last five years of my career, I started pivoting from being a full-time composer to being that consultant that people come to and they're seeking uh, to find a partner, let's say, in Australia or in China or in Southeast Asia or in Europe or in Latin America. And again, that's where the language assets were really helpful because via language, you really learn the culture of people. And I found myself to be in a position to put some very interesting deals between people of complete different cultures and languages and, and geography and help them put together a very interesting IP that turned into a, pro a product. As well, it, that's where the tech uh, element comes in, where media slash tech company that were coming up with very interesting solutions, including for music, uh, found my way to me to help them find investment opportunities, uh, potential clients and such. So it became a bit of a thing I fell into naturally because of my relationship that I have accumulated throughout the years and my, my presence in, in, in many, many countries around the world. Interesting. So I think we can divide the talk uh, into a couple of parts because you have the business uh, side and also the composer side. So let's start with uh, business uh, tips and advice that you can give. So be because you've been in so many places in the music industry, so first of all, what tips would you give to someone starting out in the music industry today uh, from your own experience? What to do and maybe what not to do? Uh, it's interesting because I'm looking at it now from the years back and what I've done and the way I navigated my life. And I used to give seminars in different parts of the world about film music and about the real hardworking blue-collar workers like me that didn't necessarily become John Williams or Hans Zimmer, but have done a lot of hard work and, 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 and different films and TV series. And I always tell people that the key for me is not necessarily to constantly engage with fellow musicians or composer, 
but find a way to find a interesting mutual goal, hobby, interest with people that are in the different seat, the producer seat, the director seat, the uh, financier seat. It doesn't really matter. The key thing is to, as a composer, you must be a very good salesman and a marketing manager of your own. So the key is really developing and nurturing relationships with people that are not, so to speak, in the same position or your competitors. Obviously, always good to learn, have colleagues, I have amazing composer colleagues all around the world, with good friends. We sometimes used to compete on stuff. But I think the key is to really be your own marketing manager and your own salesman, because in the end, you spend more than half your time selling yourself and your talent and your relationship and uh, and I think for me, it always been where I met like-minded people that shared certain interests with me that were not related to the film and media industry. We just shared the passion for a certain hobby or for a certain uh, something we believe in. And from that naturally it became a trust and trusting relationship that may or may not open the door to a discussion about using my talent as a composer to add to a project. That's very interesting. You know, many, I think many musicians have that mistake that um, also as a composer, I always tell my students that we don't write music for musicians. So, you know, sometimes we write music to impress other musicians. So we do very complicated and elaborated stuff in our music. But usually, uh, especially as media composers, we write music for usages of directors, video, video editors. They are the the end uh, clients that use our music. And I think it's also the same with uh, collaborations and relationships, as you said. As you've said, many musicians are having the mistake of only have musicians' friends and only collaborating with musicians. And you're emphasizing the fact that you should go out and meet other people from the industry, right? Outside the music uh, profession. Not only I emphasize that, but I also emphasize that it has to come, in my experience, and I've, I've been around for a while, it comes from not directly focusing on that, what can, what can I do for you, what can you do for me, but more finding other you know, things that connect you as a human. And I, I always tell people that I found out, looking now 20 years back, that two of my favorite hobbies brought to my life the best business connections and the best friends. Maybe you can share the stories. Okay. What are the stories about those two hobbies? Well, two of my favorite things to do is to play soccer, football, as we say in Europe, but soccer in Australia and the US. And I played probably soccer in 30 countries. And in LA, I had a community of soccer-loving people. And they all ended up being big directors and showrunners and producers and God knows, but we just enjoy the passion of soccer. And then throughout the month, somebody was like, so what do you do for a living? Or what's your story? So it was very natural. It was not like, you know, it was not transactional because a lot of the time everybody knows, okay, what's your desire? What do you want for me? Okay, you're a composer. I already have a composer. It was just this thing that you just share a different passion. The other one is aviation. I've been a pilot for 20-something years. And especially in LA, just a private pilot, basic four-seater planes or aerobatic planes, but not a commercial pilot. 
I found that I met such interesting people, especially in a place like Hollywood in LA, that uh, we share that passion. And through them, suddenly I've been introduced to very big players in the Hollywood industry without even realizing that. And they were just naturally wanted to connect with me because we had that shared hobby, so to speak. And there's actually quite a few composers, well-known composers, including the late James Horner, who died in a flight accident, but um, Ellen Silvestri used to fly himself from his house in Carmel down to Warner Brothers and just land in Burbank, do a meeting and go back. So I'm not, I'm not the only one. It was not that rare, but it is a bit of a different hobby for sure. But I can say that this, this was where the interesting interaction happened. And then it was just natural to talk about, oh, we're in the same industry. Oh, you're a composer. Oh, can we listen to your stuff? Not me trying to pitch myself. Just We're just having time. Because I think especially in the, in, in the media industry, people in powerful positions are used to people nagging them constantly, pitching themselves. And they're just like immediately close the doors because leave me alone. I'm on a weekend. I just want to have fun. And I think a lot of the time managing that and knowing to back off and to just let some time pass will put you in a position that just psychologically they don't see you as, oh, here's another composer trying to get a job for me. Wow, I think that's a very interesting and helpful tip that you uh, gave. So you're saying for uh, early stage musicians and composers, don't all the time uh, do network just in sake of doing the network and just in sake of uh, promoting your career. Just meet people, just have hobbies, and you will meet people that somehow will help your career as well uh, at some point. Absolutely. And I think, sadly, it takes time. You have to be very patient and you have to look at the long game because it's also authentic. Because not just in music, in every business, I deal with investors and other people. And I can see that high net worth individuals are used to people coming, ask them for money all the time. Or, as I said, producers or directors constantly being bombarded by agents and people they meet. And when you come in a bit more confident and be more like, I'm just here and I'm not pushing myself to you, it, it immediately sets up a very psychological concept in which they're like, all right, we're just hanging out. But it's hard because, you know, we all want to get the next job, the next gig. And, and I've seen that. I've, I've done both of them. And I felt a couple of times that when I was less experienced or I was constantly selling myself and I probably lost quite a few big opportunities because I was too eager. I was mm. impatient. Yeah, that's very, very interesting. What other tips uh, would you think of giving to early stage composers or musicians uh, besides that uh, networking tip, which I think is very, very helpful? Well, I think first and foremost, you got to be really good at what you do and you got to have great plugins and platforms. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean you got to spend all your money on everything, but you just have to be efficient. You have to... That's where you do connect and listen and be aware of what's going on there. Do your market research. See the latest scores of films or TV and see who's doing what, what's happening, what's the style. Uh, there's a lot of research today. It's much easier than 20 years ago 
you can do a lot of research online via all the social platforms, via research database website, via LinkedIn, and just kind of see where the wind is blowing. Because in the end, we are in a business. It is a media business. And it's a business that needs to make money. And you can be as unique as you can be. And unless you already have some serious credits under your wing, most of the time, you'll if you are starting up, you need to find a way to be valuable in terms of you can pitch something that is really much in the style of what you've seen lately on Netflix or Amazon or Apple. Because you realize people do go through patterns and they're not necessarily looking for that fresh voice. Now, I'm not negating having a fresh, unique ideas, but the percentages of people coming in with fresh, unique ideas, unless, again, they sit together with that director that can take him with them and explore a new concept, the percentages are very low for them to succeed like that, especially if they're starting up and looking for their way in. And the other thing is obviously what a lot of composers do is going and apprenticing other other composers that are well-recognized and known, that have the bandwidth to have assistance and others orchestrating for them, doing anything that can help the very busy composers that are doing the big gigs and learning through those experience as well what's going on and try to climb up a bit in that world, whether it's via, you know, obviously everybody talks about, you know, remote control, you know, but how many assistants can go to remote control and find a way to, to the guys there? But there's probably a lot of other companies uh, that would love to have some help, whether it's a, in sort of an internship or some sort of a paid gig that will be doing the grunt work. But that's, again, not just in this industry. You do the hard work, you work under somebody who's well-known and done stuff, and you gather some couple of years of experience. So then you might find the opportunity there to like, oh, he's too busy. Maybe I can do the gig or I can work on the gig and get an, my name on the credits and get recognized. And then I can show, oh, I was one of the composers on this project. And that's what I've done. Some of the credits you see that I talked about, I was not the only composer. I was one of the main composers, but it was a kind of a team effort. And I had an opportunity to come in and now I'm like, well, I have a credit on that. And I'm also proud of it because we've done some really great music. You know, about the freshness of your music that you've mentioned before being uh, innovative. So Inon Zur, a, a mutual friend of our, ours, uh, the composer, the video game composer Inon Zur uh, has a very nice uh, rule on that. And he was also one of the guests in the podcast. He's talking about the 80-20 rule, which is 80% of the music uh, should be recognizable and familiar and something that we can all immediately um, hear uh, as something that we are already knowing, uh, know from other places. And 20% is your place to be innovative. What is your perspective on that rule of 80-20%? I think it's a very reasonable uh, rule and makes complete sense to me. Inon is one of my dearest friends. He obviously has the success to show for it, so I'll take his word for it. And I think... Looking back at my experience, it's something that I alluded to. I think Yunon was just a bit more eloquent about just saying you have that 20% space to be innovative and unique. But in the end, give them something that helps the project, makes them comfortable, and sounds familiar. So I like that. I'm going to use that if Yunon allows me. 
<laughs> we will ask him as well. He's a mutual friend of ours. So, Daddy, let's talk about you as a composer. So, first of all, what are the projects that you're doing these days? And also, if you can, sh- if you can share with the listeners, how do you start a new piece, whether it's a media composition or a concert composition? Uh, you've sent me before the episode a wonderful, wonderful cello and orchestra piece that you wrote. So, how do you start when you write a new composition these days? Well, as I mentioned to you earlier, these days I'm really not in the composing game as much. I, most of my work is being a consultant and as development executive producer. So I'm actually the one who starts a new story, a new IP, a new idea, and put together what will become in the end a script or a treatment or an episodes and start the process of a new series, completely not related to music. Uh, so for me, today writing is... Commercially, if somebody who knows me and think I can add and wants me specifically, I'll come in and, and do a little project. The concert pieces are much more personal for me now. I actually go back to the woodwork, to the drawing board, actually. That's a better word. So I go back to the drawing board and I have an idea that came to my mind that was inspired, let's say, by my seven-year-old daughter or anything in life, nature or whatnot. I'll play around on the piano for a bit. I record a couple of ideas. I write a few notes. But then I'll go very, very old school. I'll just get a score paper with many, many staff and just write with a pencil the concepts that I have and start orchestrating it as I go, very much to avoid being on the MIDI instrument so I can come up with textures and ideas And that's, for me, one of the reasons I pivoted into my producer or consultant role is because my mission now is to really write and challenge myself to write music that will be, you know, I'll be purely inspired and, and, and want to share it so it could be played in a concert hall or in a special, you know, circumstances or connected to media. But for me, it's more of like it goes back to this is what I just love doing. So for me, that will be kind of the process. There's an idea, I start developing, sometimes I leave it, sometimes I come back to it. When I get into the zone, I go from the horizontal harmony melody into the vertical score textures. How do I put together sounds and colors with the strings and the woodwinds and the horns and the trombones and the percussion or depending, but I have a very clear concept of what, is, what are my tools that I want to use. So sometimes I will go to MIDI, depends if I have a commission, say a few years ago, I had a commission in, in the Netherlands when I lived in Amsterdam. And I think it was a bit under pressure because they wanted to tour with it. So I did kind of start writing some ideas, but in the end I played it into MIDI, like when, I, when, when we do media projects and I played all the different lines into MIDI But I gave my orchestrator, who knew me very well, a lot of notes that while I played this, I wanted to think conceptually about how the violins, the sections will do it and what kind of effects I want from the... So it was kind of a mixed thing. It was MIDI. So I always feel that MIDI limits you when you write uh, music that is purely for, for, for sharing music and not related to media. But at times, you just have to find the balance because it is easier to... write the basic ideas and structures also for the conductor or for the commissioner to listen to. So I, I always try to challenge myself to sit and use my 
purely the imagination, the piano and a pencil and paper, if it makes sense. Yeah, interesting. And before I'll ask you a little bit about your current projects, at least what you can share about them. Um, so, you know, there are, I think there are two types of musicians, maybe not only musicians, like two types of persons. One is uh, J.S. Bach, Johann Sebastian Bach, and one is Handel. And you seem to me like the Handel type, and I'll explain. And I'd like to hear what you think of that. So Handel was traveling throughout his life all over Europe. He moved from place to place. He even changed his name from Georg Friedrich Handel to George Friedrich Handel when he moved to uh, London. And he was traveling around all the time. And Bach never left his hometown in Germany. He was always there writing music for the church over there. He never needed the, um, the excitement, I would say, of being international and traveling around. He didn't speak any other language than German. And you seem to, uh, at least to me, like the Handel type that has lived in many places around the world, have many collaborations and connections throughout Uh, international collaborations. What do you think about that? I, well, obviously you're right. I, I, I think I need that stimulation that George Handel needed, especially like when he wrote water music or whatnot. I'm completely on that side. And to be honest, sometimes I wish I didn't need all this stimulation that I could be like the genius of Bach and just write God, godly music just by coming up with it because he, channel into a higher sphere or whatnot. But the reality is I am who I am. I think that's why also I pivoted my career from being a full-time composer to now doing it on my own terms when I feel like it because I think maybe it's, it's something that I also will say out loud. It's a bit of the Israeli, but we are in our DNA entrepreneurs. And I think it's just part of my personality, which, which sometimes... doesn't didn't help my career as a composer because I couldn't sit like a lot of my friends for 12 hours in my studio and write music I needed to be out I needed to be around people I needed to be stimulated I needed to do my crazy hobbies and and feel that the, 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 the touch of water or whatnot or being in the air um, and I used to struggle with it but now I just accepted that this is the type of personality I am That's interesting, and I think I'm a little bit like you, like that handle type, and I think it's not only for composers. I think it's like a, a human being type. Uh, Bach was a, was a family uh, with, a, you know, he's famous of being having uh, of having 20 children. I mean, who has 20 children nowadays? Uh, and he was all the time in the same place, and Handel was uh, never got married, and he was uh, he used to travel all the time. didn't have children, of course. So I think it's like the two extremes. And they are nice examples because they are both from the Baroque era and both were born at the same year. And both are very known and geniuses. So I think they are the two extremes of the spectrum of being like in the same place all your life, actually, or traveling around and finding new opportunities all the time. I actually never heard about those examples and I love it. I, I just learned something because I certainly don't see myself in, in the, any extreme spectrum, certainly more towards handle. But if I may share personally, uh, which is a very important part of my life of what made me who I am now is being a family man and now single father. But you as a father as well can relate that. Raising my daughter is the most phenomenal gift 
and the most purposeful thing I've ever experienced beyond anything I've done in my life. So it actually maybe brings me back a bit and maybe that's why I also changed my lifestyle. And as you can hear all the birds and animals around, I live in the middle of nature on the river, which permeates me more than any other exciting stimulation of running around the world. So I think it also has to do with the stage of life you're in. Yeah, that's very interesting. So you are in the Handel spectrum, but not at the extreme side of being traveling, only traveling around the world without any family like uh, George Friedrich Handel. Absolutely. And I think it's also because maybe I'm older, slightly wiser, I hope, but also uh, I think uh, that's a lot of music was written about that, not just about love, but life to a child or whatnot. I, I always wanted children. So it's not like I was the handle that never wanted, but it happened to me a little later, later in my life. And for me, it just, you know, affected me in a way that, that has changed a lot of the way I look at life in general, which is quite natural, as you know yourself as a father. But, uh, but I think... If you ask me that 20 years ago, I'll be a little closer to handling my mission. And if it's possible regarding copyrights, so maybe I can put the, uh, the piece that you've sent me that you wrote for your daughter, the cello piece, I can put it at the end of the episode. We'll discuss it later after the recording if it's possible regarding copyrights issues. And Daddy, can you explain uh, from what you can share, what are you doing these days as an executive producer? You told me before we started recording that you have clients from the US, from Barcelona, from uh, East Asia. So some of your clients are actually living the day uh, before you. You live in the future with, uh, for them, right? You said there is 17 hours time difference, which is amazing. So what are the projects that you are involved in these days? from what you can share? Uh, some of it I cannot share necessarily names and, and such or stage, but I have uh, built, I've built a slate of around seven to eight TV series I'm developing consecutively with, uh, you know, uh, in parallel with several uh, writers, producers, production companies, some I brought the financing. So, and again, I think that, that gives me that special stimulation without leaving my house as much without jumping over to LA or to Singapore or to Europe this February for you know European film market and such. Most of my work I can do from exactly where I'm at talking to you, just in my house, uh, on Zooms, uh, via communication. So I think again, you know, I'm 51 years old. So I'm not the young pup I used to be. I feel great, but I have accumulated uh, very strong relationships around the world because I lived in several continents. And I find myself, again, just like with the consultancy, that I have access to very interesting uh, talent. I built great relationship, of course, with my years in Hollywood, with production companies and studios there. And in South America, to an extent, which is, which is a region that grew a lot in the last few years, in Europe, because I spent several years living in, in the Netherlands and Amsterdam and, and traveling quite a bit. And I just found that with all, with all those 10, 20 years relationship, I found a unique opportunity for me to connect the dots. It's a bit like conducting an orchestra. You have different sections, different instruments. It's kind of like either conducting or orchestrating. So at this, at this stage, I have several development deals with a company in Singapore, 
with a company in France, in Germany, in London, in the in Israel, of course, which is in the end, I am Israeli, and Israel has been a very uh, serious player in the global media industry. But funny enough, I was not necessarily connected to the Israeli community for many years, and only recently pivoting into my, so to speak, executive development, creative producer, I found that my communication and the opportunities to bring some very serious writers that wrote great international uh, success stories is kind of where I have. So I'm working with a wonderful writer who's, who's done amazing stuff, which I cannot mention at this stage. And he comes, he works with me on several projects uh, that are connected uh, between the US and Europe and South America. So at this stage, we're working on a very high-end concept. Uh, she's a very unique series, but with a great commercial potential. I had a group of creatives from Buenos Aires in Argentina coming to me and with a great, amazing concept that we're now getting closer to get greenlit, I hope. And now I'm having a showrunner producer from New York who's going to be joining the team and pretty much take it forward. And in the meantime, I'm talking to the studios in Germany, in the UK, um, in Southeast Asia, mostly Singapore and Thailand, and finding myself connecting a lot of the dots and creating the opportunity for something that could be a wonderful global project. So that's one example. The other examples, I have a writer in Los Angeles from different Middle Eastern origins who came with a project to me. I found some financing from private entrepreneurs to drive the development of this series. I brought in a couple of uh, actors that are friends of mine to sign themselves into it, to attach themselves, as they say. And we ended up having some conversations with different uh, studios and broadcasters in Europe. And then it ended up sitting on the shelf for a while. And now we're actually producing with a very interesting group in Singapore and pitching it with uh, Netflix Taiwan. This is sometimes how things go. We thought it's going to be an LA Euro projects and now it's not formal. And again, I can't share too much information. It is being pitched to several streamers, including Netflix Taiwan as something that actually will take place in Southeast Asia. And if it goes well, then we can take it back to Hollywood and do it in a bigger scale. So I find myself connecting the creative part and the business part. And as I said, it just feels a bit like orchestrating and working with different instruments from different families. And, and when it all gels, and if you do uh, know how to create those soundscapes, it suddenly takes a whole life and people are just coming from it with excitement, with passion, but also realizing that this series or two can be succeeding in one region, but also have a global potential. So I know it sounds a bit esoteric, but that's kind of what I do. It sounds exciting. You're like the conductor. You said the orchestrator, but I also imagine the conductor that you are conducting so many groups of people from so many places in the world that speak different languages. And actually, it uh, brings us back to the beginning of the talk that you speak so many languages and have been in so many places. So you're like the conductor of international projects because, you're, because of your personal skills and your professional skills that you've acquired. 
I think so. The only thing is to very important to mention professionally that I'm a conductor, but at a certain point when it's all coming together, I go to the side and stay on board. But when it goes into physical production and to the whole deal-making that will actually physically produce the series with millions and millions of dollars, that's where they bring, you know, Ricardo Muti or Herbert Focaria because that needs to go to the big conductors. And that's where I back off gently, just to be, just to be honest. Because that's, that's the time where I kind of like, okay, I put all those things together. And that's why I call it more orchestrator. But when it's ready to go into production, then I leave it with the trusted hand of people that have the skills of show running, physical production, or budgeting, and all that. And that's where I gently kind of move to the side and happy winter. I need to bring it to that stage, and then it goes to uh, the Berlin Philharmonic, inshallah. <laughs> Super interesting. Daddy, I think one last question before we wrap up this wonderful episode, which I think gave a lot of inspiration Uh, both about general uh, life tips and also tips for career in music. So one last question. Um, where do you see yourself in five years from now? I think it's a little bit of a tricky question maybe, but wh what is your vision for yourself in five years from now? On all aspects or just professionally? Professionally in, as a musician and as a media consultant. I hope to see myself with uh, several beautiful international shows on the streamers, Netflix and Apple, et cetera, that I could, just like before, could be proud of and saying that that was me putting it together and I'm an executive producer on it. And hopefully growing my slate and be able to do more unique projects, uh, bigger scale projects uh, in terms of uh, being able to tell important stories. Because for me, Beyond the business side of it, I really, I think we're in a time in this world that it's really important to bring to the world stories via that media, because not everybody will go and search and people find it easier to learn or to be, to get curious by watching shows that are based on true stories. So a lot of the stories that I develop and produce are based on real events and real stories. And as part of my mission, as we spoke about languages and cultures to really That's the little bit I can add is to kind of take people from all walks of life and bring them together because of the human element, the human story. So in five years, I hope I can do more. And on the music side, I hope I'll still have the bandwidth to come up with new chamber music or symphony music or a hybrid of things that will find a way to concert halls and perhaps into uh, interesting media ventures that can combine different media elements visuals, uh, uh, music, and such. Um, and if I can live with the both, doing a bit of that from pure passion and, and growth as a composer, continuing to succeed and growing my career as a development creative producer and executive producer, uh, and mostly focusing on uh, being the best dad I can be, I think in five years, I hope to sit a bit more comfortably And, uh, and, and try to enjoy all those things and feel that I'm fulfilling the best I can my purpose in life. I think that's a wonderful uh, sentence to add the episode uh, of the podcast, which is also called Rewind, an optimistic podcast about career in music. And I think this was a very optimistic 
way of ending the episode. So once again, Dedi Tsur from Sydney, Australia, thank you so much for joining into this episode. It was really a pleasure to host you in this podcast. The pleasure was all mine, Amit, and uh, thank you for, the, for, for triggering me with very interesting questions. And I hope this can serve some sort of help or optimistic ins- inspiration to the listeners. So to all the listeners, if you want to hear uh, more of Daddy's music, I'll just put it in the description, in the show notes, uh, a link to Daddy's website, and you can find Daddy also on IMDb and hear his music. To all the listeners, thank you so much for tuning in. Feel free to reach out with any questions. You can look me up on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or through my email listed on my website where I share more content about musical career issues. And don't forget to rate the podcast and give it a follow. It will help it reach more people who might find it interesting. And if you liked this episode, don't forget to rewind it and send it to a friend. I will see you in the next episode with another really special guest. Stay tuned. Bye-bye. Welcome to Rewind, an optimistic podcast that'll help you in your successful career in music. Amit Weiner hosts musicians, composers, professors, and sound wizards as they share their life stories and career decisions. Stay tuned, it's gonna be epic.